Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Dom Alessio, and this is Other Side of the Tracks. Each episode, we feature a new release and talk to the artist about the inspiration, meaning and stories behind each song. In this episode, Sydney-based duo Winterborn take us through the making of their debut album, Echo of Youth. When James Draper and Jordan Brady met as high schoolers, they immediately started making music together. For years, they honed their craft in studio and on stage before they spent six months recording Echo of Youth. An album, they say, they've been waiting their whole lives to create. The result? A 12-song opus of exhilarating anthemic indie rock that perfectly encapsulates exactly who Winterborn are. Here is Echo of Youth by Winterborn. we could take the listener anywhere to listen to our debut album Echo of Youth I think it would be anywhere where there's darkness and no distraction and with headphones on preferably in bed before you go to sleep I remember listening to so many of my favourite records usually I know they're my favourite record by that point and I just go to bed really excited to have an hour of just listening to an album Yeah. and if anyone ever does that with their album I'll be very happy Generally, when we write songs, I usually start it. I don't know when that started being the case, Mm. but usually I'll start it and just just come up with something in my bedroom and then send some form of demo to Jordan, who usually, like, annoyingly changes one chord or word. um, To get my percentage. To get your percentage. Um, But that's probably for half the songs, and then half the songs we start just both playing guitar or sat in front of a computer trying to figure it out. Yeah, do it that way. Yeah, those ones have. Uh, whenever we start one together, we'll we'll start one. It'll be kind of a crap idea, and then I'll leave and go home, and James will send me a demo at midnight, and it'll be finished, and there'll be vocals and lyrics mm. and the whole thing, and I'll just go, okay, cool. We mm. wrote a song apparently, but I just thought it was crap up until I I hear it for the first time. Andy Mack, um, we met, he was the first producer we ever met when we got a writing session set up with him uh, on the Central Coast in 2013, 2012, 2012. Um, and we really liked him, we got along with him really well straight away because he's hilarious and really talented, I guess, but also he's hilarious, um, and his brother Tom was there as well, and we just kind of got a glimpse of Tom. And then Do you really we, know why he was there? No, he just had a leather jacket and sunnies, and we went, he seems like a cool guy, and then um, and Jackson was there as well, but we didn't really work with Jackson at that time. 
Um, and then over the next sort of, well, we wrote a couple of songs with them for that first EP and then recorded our first EP with those guys. Um, and then for the second EP, we kind of went for a different approach. We went and got a different producer um, and got halfway through making that record and um, changed our minds and went back to Andy again. So we ended up with the same team from the first EP. So then for this record, we kind of said, let's just cut the nonsense and go straight for the dream team. So we kind of went went and talked to them and Andy had these big ideas about um, what we what we should sound like and where we should do it and that kind of thing. So um, yeah, so they've been with us from the start pretty much, which made it really easy um, to bounce ideas around and didn't have to explain ourselves to a, a whole new cast of production crew. I saw love spent a while trying to choose a studio because we've never really nailed the, um, the vibe in the studio. We've always had the right people, but um, never really felt like the, the place we were in was the music we wanted to make. And we were always kind of put off about Byron because it's Byron. And it's like, we, mm. we're not surf rock. We probably don't smoke enough weed. Yeah. Um, but it, I think, turned out that we were totally wrong about that. Um, and it's just a beautiful place. And we were up in the hills in a studio called La Cueva. Yep. Um, which is owned by uh, Bernard, Fanning. Uh, Bernard Fanning and Nick Tadir. Um And we met both those guys, which just added to the inspiration. Um, spoke to them on day one. And so Jackson and Andy went, flew up early and sussed out all the gear and everything. And they called us and were like, wait till you see this. <laughs> like, it's like a dream. And we were. St- Still kind of like, yeah, whatever, it's Byron. Like, we, we, it'll be sunny. We yeah. get it. Um, but it was. It was like all this old gear and we, there was, you walked around the back of the monitors and there was just a row of like 60s Gibson guitars and we straight away start, picked them up and started playing them. And they're what's on the record. Like, we picked our favourites straight away mm. and just wanted to play them and that was, we hadn't had that for so long. We yeah. bought a table tennis table. We got it up there. We, we took the van down and loaded it up with a table tennis table built it out the back so it was just walk out the door to the studio and there was table tennis overlooking the ocean it was ridiculous um i can't believe we got any work done really yeah i think uh jackson our engineer there's like we've got a lot of audio like recording from the from obviously everything was recording pretty much all the time and there's a lot of him just being like right who's who's playing guitar like and it's always (laughs) someone's over there playing table tennis he'd be like Come play the guitar. You've got to <laughs> get something done. Pulling tones for three and a half hours while yeah. we're playing, and we're like, "Come on, man, it's match point. Just, just give us a second. He's yeah. like, "No, come play your guitar part. It's over." Mm. Which was awesome because then that person got to go and just nail their guitar part while everyone else was doing their own thing, and like that made it. Everyone was always refreshed, and no one was ever like, "Let's just get this take done and mm. get out of there." It's like we all wanted to be there and nowhere else. So it's like. Yeah, it was great. And again, listening to to our record now makes me feel like I'm back there. I love it. The first song on our on our album is a song called Revolutionary Man with a, with a comma in it for some reason. And that was a classic one of having the team that we did. They just all got it straight mm. away. Like Tom picked up the Hoff bass and just played this melodic bass line. 
that fit the chorus but was totally new to the song. I was like, okay, now the song's yeah. 20% better. And yeah, then and Andy we didn't give keys. Dom any notes on drums. Like, he listened to the song and went in and just played it the way mm. we wanted him to play it. Like, yeah. that kind of old school rock drum drum beat that he does. Mm. And we um, gave Jackson, like, Jackson was fully on board with the drum sound that we wanted and yeah. he totally got it. And that was the first song we finished. I started playing a, what's it called, a silver tone? guitar mm. electric guitar um and i tried plugging it into this old suitcase amp like guitar case amp that was old and horrible and it shocked me like i tried i plugged it in and it was kept giving me electric shocks on my fingers so i was like i'm not going to play this jacko like i, I can't do it he's like i like unplug it and we'll just use the acoustic one but he couldn't record me acoustic because everybody else was in the room and there was too much bleed so he said we're gonna have to put you outside so he set up a a little recording station with a mic and a pair of headphones outside the studio door overlooking that ocean with that crazy view next to the ping pong table. Um, and so I couldn't, I wasn't with the other lads. It was just like closed off and I had headphones and I could hear them all in there playing along with the song. And that's when I played that, that intro, that first thing on the album is that sound of me sitting outside with a clean electric guitar mm. um, overlooking Byron Bay, which is pretty um, symbolic. If you listen <laughs> at the end of the song, you can hear birds. Yeah. Because... And wasps. You were outside. There were wasps. Oh yeah, you were getting attacked by wasps. There were wasps. four wasps around my head the entire time and I was chewing on peppermints because I googled how to get rid of wasps <laughs> and it said they don't like peppermints so I ate peppermints and I don't know, it didn't work. We were all inside in just fear. like pretty chill jamming. It was, like, oh, good, it was man. very tense. Every time we finish a song, we put it somewhere in an album, whether we have an album or not. It's like, oh, so that's track six. Yeah, yeah. definitely a track six. <laughs> You're like, what? Yeah. It's track three. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think we went, like, at the demo phase, I'm not sure if we thought that was going to be track one. Mm. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure we said it mm. initially that it would be amazing track one. Mm. But we, it's the thing with track one, you don't know whether to go with, like, your favourite song on the record or if you go with like a weird one to start to get everybody into it and then you go with singles like the whole structuring thing is you could go a bunch of different ways um, and so that one was just kind of a good idea to be kind of an epic start with the chorus vocal and stuff and just be like sort of a big intro um, and then when we recorded it it was a bit more rock and roll and a bit bit cooler um, but I think then once we recorded it I'm pretty sure Andy said when we recorded it imagine that being mm. being track one and we said yeah no probably a good call and then from then on I don't think I've imagined any other songs being track mm. one was track two on our record still is and um it was one of those ones that james and i started together in the same room um working on just the idea and um i think james had the chords down and i added a a riff in there with the electric guitar and it was kind of just a generic sort of rock song at that point another one that i kind of forgot about and then 
James sent it to me finished with vocals and the whole thing and he'd sung that the melody that I played as a chorus melody and um, and I had the strings turn around and I remember thinking that it immediately sounded exactly like what our album should sound like. I remember thinking like this should be, I thought this should be our first single and like this is the first one I can guarantee should be on the record because it just made sense with where we were trying to go. spent ages on it, especially in the mix, um, getting everything exactly where we wanted it and like all the small things like the BVs and the um, before the post-chorus, we wanted them to be in the right places in the mix and like so that it sounds like they're talking to the lead and like... Which is kind of wrong yeah. like, to be telling a mix engineer, to, to, like we're telling Jackson and kind of knowing that we're telling him to do it wrong, but because we want it to sound a certain way. Mm. It's kind of yeah, because Jackson that. and I think anyone that we've worked with is like, it's just become used to doing what's kind of normal. And we have to go the other way and be like, you can't just have the BBs louder than the lead because you forget what the melody is. Mm. <laughs> um, so it works both ways where we learn from Andy and Jackson in that regard, but then we have to literally force Jackson to push the fader up on some and be like, yeah. we really want to hear that backing vocal because vocals has always been what we are about and singing harmonies is what we've always done and so when you have this massive rock song with all these synths and stuff going on we just we're always desperate to hear both our vocals next to each other always at every part of yeah. the album pretty much because that's what the winter oneness is sitting in the sun the battle was won this morning all that I've done keeps me on the run and always in line Take the Golden, our third song on the album, track three. Yep, um, correct. We wrote this one totally different um, to the first two that we've been talking about. We wrote this one in uh, Berlin um, on a songwriting trip that we that we put together with some people we really wanted to work with in Europe. Um, and this was with a guy called uh, Tobias Kuhn, um, who had worked with Milky Chance and a couple of other artists that we love. Um, and we were, that was our first time being in Europe, um, for music anyway. And, um, we were sort of staying in a backpackers and, um, jet lagged and like staying up late, drinking beer and taking in the, taking the culture. Um, and we had this two day session with this guy and we met him, got along really well. Um, and we had this one idea that we wanted a song that was kind of, built around a bass part and was sort of sounded like a pop song but had like old melodies and more classic feel to it and we'd always had that idea but it's really freaking hard to do um, so I'm sure Tobias was like yeah great <laughs> yeah we'll do that um, but we got along with him really well and we literally just sat there all day I had a toy piano you were playing a bass part yeah. and he was playing keys and like putting beats down and stuff and we just jammed all day Got the got this melody that ended up being the chorus. Oh, 
got that first. I think it was a verse melody when we started. Yeah. Just that thing, and then and then Tobias did the the carry you away part. It kind yeah. of tied it all together, and we went. Now oh, it's pretty pretty epic. It should probably go there for the chorus. Mm. Um, and then it was about kind of building something underneath that that made it not just a dance track because we had kind of these synths and this bass line, but we wanted to kind of put that kind of acoustic, kind of crunchy guitar thing in there as well, um, which he did Milky Chance, so he knows all about that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, we started working on those stabby sort of guitar parts, um, which I didn't, I don't really think we knew that we were making like a mad loop at the time mm. when we did it. We knew that we were kind of just filling it up with these textures. Um, and then, so we ended up with that demo. And then when we got into the studio, we really had to um, kind of play around with that aspect to make it feel kind of real. Um, those guitars kind of now, there's, there's like three guitars underneath it that go through the whole song pretty much, which are now the sort of soul of the song. And then everything mm. else can happen around and that bass line. Um, as well and then everything else happens around it which is kind of really nice for us because it was such a different song to what we've usually done and I think in terms of people listening to that for the first time it's a bit of a departure from from our usual stuff um, but the fact that there's those two vocals and those two guitar parts underneath means the song is a Winterbourne song with these amazing sounds that we came up with in the studio. Too Many is our fourth track off our record, Echo of Youth. Um, it was another one of those last songs to be written, another one of those James is feeling lonely and worried about our record. I'm pretty sure you're lonely. Um, I imagine you being in a dark room just like with totally. all the wind, like Sherlock Holmes, just like... Yeah, yeah. Well, no, because you say that to me yeah. often. Yeah. <laughs> Someone that is slave correct. Sitting in your room, yeah, reminded me of like old Foo Fighters, like catchy Foo Fighters, like that kind of the end of like a TV show or something. It was that really kind of cruisy, um, classic rock song sort of thing, and it just kind of felt good the whole way through. Um, and we all really liked it straight away. I'm pretty sure that was just thrown on the rec- record straight away. Mm. No one kind of questioned it. We went, yeah, it's a good song. It's Lyrically, we didn't really have a song that just had a like fairly uplifting um, nature, and that was I remember writing that chorus, thinking, "Okay, we've got we've got now got a song that says it's all right." <laughs> so at least we're looking on the bright side. Yeah. On track four, weirdly, we we went to a high school friend's funeral, um, and something happened that night. Um, about him and we've for some reason me and my family were talking about about mental health and things like that um and i wrote the song that night and i i'm not sure how much that came into it but i really needed to make myself feel better and it was originally this like full pop punk song which had quite a lot of anger in it um and i totally went the other way i was like i can't send this to anyone (laughs) 
I'll put an acoustic guitar in. And it just became this really nice song, lyrically. And by the end, we get to shout the words, I'm ready now, and that's always fun. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Remember that song One before last Song number five, Puzzle, was another late one to the race. To the race? In the race? Doesn't matter. Um, and again, it was super inspired by, by, by pop stuff. I'd recently learned This Year's Love by David Gray um, and loved the shapes and everything and the way he played them um, and stole those and rearranged them all and just played this thing on, on piano and, and wrote some words. Yeah, Puzzle. I really liked Puzzle first time I heard it as well. I thought it sounded like a Lord Lord and Paul Simon wrote a song together. That's oh, yeah, yeah, that's what you said in your email. Yep. Um, <laughs> no, Lord and Paul Simon wrote a song with Chris Martin, I think I said, or something like that. Something outrageous. Anyway, like the three best songwriters of all time all yeah. came together and wrote a song. That's yeah. what I said it was. Thanks, um, man. Yeah, all good. Uh, it was kind of different. Again, it was, it, we worked on that a lot in the studio when we were playing it through live. Um, it just wasn't really working. And that was another benefit of playing them all live was everyone sat around, played them through, and if we weren't feeling it, we'd change things up. And it's kind of lyrically tied into the next song on the record, Sunday Night, and the one after that. Those three are their own kind of little thing. Sunday night, try not to hold tight. Try not to ask why you stayed so long. Sunday night uh, was not on the shortlist when we went to Byron. It was we, we took uh, 11 songs to Byron in the hope to make a 10-track album and we came out with a 12-track album um, <laughs> because Sunday night wasn't on the list. It was kind of on our list um, because we really liked the song. It was an acoustic, um, really kind of... We, we had this plan to do it in one room, just like around one mic, just James and I singing and playing an acoustic guitar. Um, as sort of like a little interval in the middle of the record and we didn't really tell anyone about it and then we were set up um, to play better one night and I found a big drum and I was like oh we should use this for Sunday night and then James started playing Sunday night 
on his guitar and everyone kind of just stopped and went, what's that song? And um, James said, oh, it's just a song called Sunday Night. And then Andy lost his mind and Tom lost his mind and they were like, we've got we to gotta record this. So we kind of, everyone kind of sat down and jammed this song and we played it once all the way through and everyone was crying and <laughs> I was crying anyway. <laughs> and it was this like dark, it was perfect like dark room and everything was already ready to go and we just kind of played it and it just felt really good and we still didn't know we were going to put it on the record but we just knew that it sounded amazing. It was that really great band moment kind of thing um, and we played it through a few times and everyone was getting really excited and then... Um, Andy said, okay, I know everyone's excited, but you just got to chill out. Um, let's do one take where everybody just pulls back a little bit and don't go too nuts. Just kind of do your parts. Um, and we did that. And then that's, that's the version that's on the record. Um, start to finish. We didn't add anything except a couple of, a couple of new vocals. And, a, and an orchestra. And an orchestra. We added <laughs> Later <strings>. in the piece. <laughs> And the riff from Echo of Youth, which we ended up treating as like a theme for the album, is in the end of Sunday Night, with the strings play the same theme as Echo of Youth, so it's like, that makes us happy. Yes. <laughs> and we put it at track six as well, because we were picturing two sides of a record, and so the end of side A being Sunday Night, and then the start of side B being Daylight. So long, Sort of the waking up in the sunshine after track six. That's metaphorically speaking. Yep. We didn't record it in the sunshine the following day. No. Um, and again, I think lyrically we just wanted a, something to make ourselves feel better. Um, and also we had this idea of having a song where you could just play it on acoustic guitar and sort of imagine a few thousand people singing it with you. Um, and... It's 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 tied in with Sunday night, but also it's it's its own its own thing. Because I think that was the last week before we went into record. I sent that one mm. as well, and it was super different. Um, and we were really conscious of keeping that one stripped and um, focused on the harmonies in the chorus, and just keeping it nice. And again, not going too nuts on the on the drums, and just a nice song. You it's just kind of again, it's like a um, a palate cleanse after. Track six, that was the idea. The word Rosetta was in my head. Because our favourite band, Hey Rosetta, had just announced that they were stopping, basically. Uh, so the line, So Long Rosetta, is actually from from that <laughs> um, and then I just couldn't help but Write a song. make it about my life yeah yeah of course um, selfish bastard yeah, yeah any other things no that's it just you're a selfish bastard okay. that's all I've got to say about cool. daylight track 8 
track eight on our album is called The Actors. I saw love for another day I saw both you And this was... Oh, I don't even remember when this one when we, no, when we wrote this one. It's been around it's for a while. It's always been there. <laughs> we, we, we played it live quite a bit before we went into the studio, which is the only one on the record that we played live. Um, and we kind of... Apart from better. Apart from better, okay. Um, and we kind of had to convince um, everyone that it was a good song because we'd played it live and we knew how it felt to play live. And it's this two-minute song that's kind of thrashy and... Two and a half. Two and a half minute song that's thrashy and, and mad um, that kind of could have just been left off the album, but we felt like it was important, um, particularly because we'd kind of lived with it for a long time and and we loved it and we loved playing it. Um, and we needed that kind of song as well on the record. We needed that song that just kind of went, we're going, we're going hard for two and a half minutes. <laughs> This is vaguely similar to Revolutionary Man, just like feeling pretty disillusioned from several things, but possibly our generation, if you're going to take it so far. Okay. Um, and what better to do than say, Shalali. Yeah. That was the one. first time we put stupid sounds in a song. Yeah, and kept them there as well, kept didn't replace them. them with lyrics. No. Shalali, shalalali. Lazy, but catchy. Shalali. Track nine, breaking out, um, which is a very old song. Mm-hmm. Actually, this is the oldest song on the album, um, which we wrote at a writing session, a writing camp, um, a native tongue writing camp on the Central Coast um, with a guy called Stu Crichton, who we wrote um, "The Boy Prince" from our first. Uh, everyone would know that, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, very well known first EP. Um, we wrote that song with him, and we we love writing with him. He's a genius and he's just so fast he just he's a big Scottish man he's lovely and he just makes pop bangers could never really find a place for it or a way to record it that made us feel good about it um, until we got to the, we took it with us to Byron in the hope that we could make a version that we felt really proud of um, and we kind of got stuck in with Andy and trying to make something that was kind of a bit more honest and a little bit, it sort of fit in with the record a little better and something that we could be like put our name to and feel good about. Um, so we kind of experimented with it for ages until we got to a place that we really liked it. And it was, it was kind of not until we'd done it in Byron Bay that I really liked the song. I kind of went, this is a really good song. Let's stop fighting this song. And I mean, I don't know if everybody else was fighting it as much as I was, but I was kind of pretty anti-breaking out for a long time. Mm. Um, but once we kind of decided to own it in the studio and made it feel good, I kind of just said, yeah, this is a great song. It should go on the record. It can't be what you want me to be. You want 
Milk, milkshakes and denial. What a why did ridiculous we call it that? <laughs> um, track ten, milkshakes and denial. Milkshakes and denial. Got my heartbreak on vinyl. I get wasted just to be I think we've been listening to a lot of Julia Jacqueline mm. at the time in her first record. Um, and now we're pretty obsessed with her second record. Anyway, at the time, um, I think like a lot of the songs on, on her first record were that, that rhythm. I don't know what it's called, but um, we were just inspired by that, um, but conscious, conscious to not make a Julia Jacqueline song. And we sort of set the scene of like, let's, let's write a song that takes us to a, like a 50s American diner, but then let's try and make it Winterbourne and have harmonies and all that stuff. Um, and so we did so. It took us ages. I remember the court, we on the first day we got chords and we're like, eh, this yeah. could be cool. And then I did some stuff at home and wrote some words, wrote the chorus. Yeah. We landed on Milkshakes in Denial being the chorus. Yeah. Which I don't remember that happening, but apparently it did. Yeah. <laughs> um, we kind of just gave ourselves a license to make it weird for that song because we hadn't really gone full weird yet. Um, mm. There's a key change in there. Like it's kind of mm. just, we just threw threw ideas out there and which made it mad. Like it made it sound, all the sounds are really good because we recorded to tape. We did a tape guitar part in there, which just sounds disgusting and amazing. And um, and we made it, tried to make it not 250s and like gimmicky and just sort of make it. We had to take a lot of stuff out. Yeah. I remember the mix was a long one on that one. Mm. Spent sort of a long time with Jackson uh, in the mix phase trying to make it not too try hard we had all these cool parts in there that we took most of them out and just made it all about the vocal yeah that lyric is one of the favourite things I think we say yeah milkshakes and denial um and again later in the piece we realised that it's at the end of the album and it's it says got my heartbreak on vinyl which is literally true and <laughs> um, makes me so happy that we accidentally wrote that <laughs> because that song was like lyrically was at the same time as all the other ones that were about that um and yeah, I think it's the way it talks about like the end of a relationship, but it's also the words milkshakes and denial, um, which came from literally like I I had milkshakes with this with the person, and that was one of the last things we did together. Um, so it makes it's like a very um, um, it's a very obvious image to me, like when I when I sing that song. But then um, it's also a bit weird and I think that was I think we were, we were pretty afraid of saying things literally and like admitting our feelings because <laughs> we are men um, which is ridiculous but um, I, I like that we have ways of saying things that are strange and hopefully memorable um, and so we just like that the words milkshakes and denial have been put together um, but yeah it's, it's just, it references the album that it's on and I like that so Number 11, Colorblind, 
Um, again, um, one that's been around for a while. Um, it was uh, originally we had a song called Our Love's a Lie, which um, had all the same melodies except for the verse, um, but it was on acoustic guitar and quite folky and sort of ran out of relevance for us, especially lyrically, because I wrote it about someone else and it was quite a dark lyric and I didn't feel good about singing it anymore. Out of belief and out of devotion And shadow on the shelf So we just kind of took it and our producer Andy had always loved the song and loved the melodies and everything in it um, and said we should rework it whenever we could. We tried probably four times and couldn't get the rhythm and couldn't get the vibe right for the song. Um... And then I did a demo, demo of mine because I just had this verse melody that I was playing around with and realised that it fit in with the, with the chorus melody of this song, um, which we really wanted to make work because we, we knew it was strong. Um, and then rewrote the words and made them more relevant to, to us at the time, which was already a couple of years ago now. Um, and then again, it got refreshed when we took it to the studio and the boys got a hold of it and... Um, they knew the history of the song, so they really wanted it to make it work. And we, again, just took it to the bones and, and played it as a band um, and had an, a full band and played the song and it was it was dark. And we we all knew the song because we played it as a band live. Andy and Tom played in our, in our live band for a couple of years. Um, so we all know each other really well and all wanted to make the song work and sat in the dark and basically nutted it out. I think it took like eight takes or something and then we had... We had the bones. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it kind of all changed when Tom started playing it because mm. we didn't know how we are going to... That was the 11th song out of the 10. That was the one that was like, okay, we'll take it, we'll see how we go. Mm. But it might not work because we knew we had we couldn't have it the way the demo was. Um, but we didn't know how it was going to go. It was the start. We were, we were kind of worried about how we were going to start that song and what that vibe was going to be. And then Tom got that old... This old... Um, Gibson, this 50s Gibson that we use on every song on the record um, and played that first um, guitar part and it was like, okay, we'll do it like that kind of thing. It was that sort of chugging building thing, um, which we hadn't really, we were kind of, we didn't really want to make it into that epic big like Snow Patrol song, um, but we kind of just felt, realised once he played that part, we kind of gave into it a little bit that we couldn't really fight it being this kind of epic really uplifting song it was kind of dark at the same time I freaking love that song, it's so good Do you think of our songs in colours? I know we've talked about this before, but it's like for me, milkshakes is green. Is oh, yeah. it green for you? No, I don't think it's green. I think. And colourblind is purple. Uh, I think colourblind's like. No, I I see the letters. I see the, I see them written out. Not in colours. Not in colours, but I see them in shapes. I think they I see are them in shapes. Col- letters are shapes. Yeah, I see the shapes of the letters. Now we all do. That. Yeah, no, yeah. like I can read letters. And no, no, like what shapes. I'm saying is everyone, everyone can do <laughs> like that. Like a nose, like a circle. Track me. 12, uh, <laughs> last track. <clears throat> uh, you can do this one. Track 12, Echo of Youth, from our record Echo of Youth. 
I kind of always thought this was going to be the song that summed up Winterbourne, and it's. I think you thought the same when we first did the demo, um, and we we finished this song first out of all of them, and we took it and we listened to it in the car on the way to football. Yeah, in your that's right. Girlfriend Molly's car, which has crazy amount of much bass. <laughs> But we listened to it like first mix, and we were like, okay, we're like, we've, if this is the basis of the album, then we're gonna be proud of this album. And it came from a place of um, like frustration at at the fact that we we do this stuff, and our whole lives are based around trying to get people to listen. Um, and sometimes it feels like they're not. And when you know, sat in a room trying to make an album, and you're like constantly trying to say to people like this is all we do like mm. we really think we're good at this and we hope you'll listen and that's what we've always done because we started out busking and then playing shows and recording and this song is um i think it always always needed to be e- epic and end up in a big place because it's like us going whether people are listening or not we'll, we'll play songs like this <laughs> yeah. so um yeah i think some of the lyrics kind of touch on that and but also it, it touches on the fact that it feels that way but also that we're okay with it and it feels like that to me when I listen to it yeah. the song yeah we said when we first listened to it if there was going to be a song that we we had one song to show people what we were it would be that song because it just yeah like you said just grabs everything that we love about music and puts it into a song um, which is kind of what we were trying to do for the album so it makes sense that we called the album Echo of Youth because <laughs> Um, the album was just an attempt to make one thing that was us start to finish. Literally, like, the song, if you look at it, sums up, like, from day one, of yeah. us to now yeah and from like day one of writing this album to now it's like it starts off just like pretty annoyed guy yep <laughs> on a synth or a bass <laughs> yeah and then just ends up with like everyone just kind of going nuts and, mm. and singing far too long it goes for too long this song yeah which is I love it. so good yeah we had we it became everyone's favourite song pretty quickly mm. like it was that that thing that we'd kind of started with Sunday Night when we played it all the way through live, we did it again with Echo of Youth, where everyone just played it and went, "This is, this is sick. We've got to keep going." Andy on his mix notes yeah sent yeah. through like we got our final mix notes and Andy our producer had obviously just listened to all the songs so it was quite emotional because like he did this big long spiel about that song and how it's like the best thing he's ever worked on and he's mm. proud and all this stuff and I was in England yeah read and that it was, and the, was like the best song Jackson had ever mixed in his life there's been a lot of circularity on this album and it's super strange <laughs> it's because it's like you can put out music and then it's just out but we get to play the songs but for everyone else who's worked on it that's just out now like yeah it's been it's been a long journey but it sounds like a long journey but a journey that's been 
all we've ever wanted to do with our lives. And I think that's what the record sounds like. Winterbourne's debut album Echo of Youth is out now. For more, head to winterbournemusic.com. Other Side of the Tracks is produced in Sydney, Australia by U Music Media House, a subsidiary of Universal Music Australia. This episode was recorded and edited by the team at Forbes Street Studios in Woolloomooloo. For more, visit othersideofthetrackspod.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.